Uh, today, let's let's go ahead and get into our message. Uh, we're going to finish up the book of Esther today. Uh, last week, we saw the demise of Haman as Esther unveiled her Jewishness uh, at the dinner with King Xerxes and Haman. Uh, upon his death, Xerxes hands over Haman's estate to Esther and promotes Mordecai to Haman's position as second in command of the nation. Uh, Esther, in turn, hands over Haman's estate to Mordecai, and she had no use for it. She's the queen. She doesn't need more stuff. So she said, Mordecai, why don't you go ahead and take his estate? Now, though Haman was dead and Esther and Mordecai were blessed, there was still the issue of the annihilation of the Jews, as Xerxes would not repeal Haman's original edict. Haman's original edict was like, in the 12th month, on the 13th day, we're going to slaughter all the Jews. We're going to annihilate all the Jews. Uh, that's, that's the plan. And so Xerxes, instead of repealing that, lets Mordecai figure it all out. And Mordecai makes a new edict, allowing the Jews to defend themselves by allowing them to kill, destroy, and annihilate, just like uh, Haman had said, uh, to kill, destroy, and annihilate, and then take the plunder of anyone who would attack them. Uh, they send out the edict to all 127 provinces. This is a massive empire uh, going from India all the way to Ethiopia. They cover the entire area and they get the word out. Chapter 8 is closed out with a lot of celebration and a ton of joy. And it seems as though everything should be good to go, and anyone in their right mind, quote-unquote, would not attack the Jews. It seems everything is going in the right direction, so by golly, we should be good to go. They, you'd think they would have ended Esther at Esther chapter 8, and it would have been done, but, but that's not the case. Today we'll look at this uh, a little bit differently than how I normally uh, give you the message. Uh, we're going to read the entirety of these last two chapters, and then after that, we're going to go backwards. <laughs> we're going to go from the end uh, up to where we're at uh, in in chapter one of uh, or cha- verse one of chapter nine. So, if you have your Bibles, whether you know electronic or, or paperback, uh, why don't you go ahead and open up to Esther chapter nine, Esther chapter nine, starting at verse one. We'll read through this. There's quite a bit there, so get comfortable. Try not to fall asleep on me. Uh, But uh, we're going to read through this. I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV. So if you have an electronic one and you want to follow word for word with what I'm saying, you can do that. Um, If not, just try to keep up. I'll let you know where the verses are. All right, so starting at verse 1 of chapter 9. Now in the 12th month which is the month of Adar, on the 13th day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. Verse 2, the Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the loyal agents also helped the Jews, for fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. Verse 6, in Susa, the capital itself, the, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men and also killed 
uh, here we go, Parshandatha and Dalphon and Aspatha and Poratha and Adelia and Oriditha and Parmashta and Arisai and Aridai and Vizatha. The ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plunder. Verse 11, that very day the number of those killed in Susa the citadel was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, in Susa the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and also the ten sons of Haman. Uh, What then... Or what then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It will be granted you, and what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed uh, tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict, and let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they killed 300 men in Susa, uh, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, and they laid no hands on the plunder. Verse 17, this was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th day and rested on the 15th day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. Verse 20, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food, to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started uh, to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, or Ham, yeah, whatever, uh, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. Verse 25. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan, uh, writing his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews uh, should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim after the term pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what had been uh, and what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them. Uh, Verse 27, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail, they would keep these two days according to what was written and at this time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fail into disuse or fall into disuse, sorry, among the Jews, nor should the, con- the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Verse 29, Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed season. As Mordecai the Jew and 
Queen Esther obligated them and as they obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their feast to their fasts and their lamenting the command of the queen the command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim and it was recorded in writing chapter 10 don't worry there's only a few verses King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and the coastlands of the sea and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. The end. Thank you for coming. Have a great day. Just kidding. Um, powerful story. Uh, on on what happened there, like I said, as weird as it sounds, we're going to work uh, we're going to work backwards here. Uh, first, we can see after uh, the fighting and everything, everything goes back to normal. King Ahasuerus, King Xerxes goes back to taxing everybody. Hey, we got to keep everything up and make sure everything's going. So taxes come back, and and the way of life comes back to to what it was, and um, and he's leading the Persian Empire. But now he has a very popular right hand man in Mordecai. Why is that? Because he's Jewish? Technically, no. It's not because he's Jewish. It's because Mordecai sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all. What did Jesus say in the Beatitudes? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This, in a nutshell, is what people of God do. They seek the welfare of others. They look at needs and figure out how to help. They look for ways to keep the peace. Mordecai did not let his position get to his head. Instead, he continues on a path of God-centeredness. He doesn't get to that position of second in command and says, oh, that's right, I'm amazing and I'm awesome. Here we go. Everybody bless me and praise me. That's not how it worked. He stayed with what God had called him to do, and he continued to speak peace and do what he could to keep peace in the nation. He looked for the welfare of the Jews and said, listen, what can we do to make sure that people survive and that people make it to where they need to make it? It's almost very similar to Joseph. Remember Joseph, when he becomes second in command, how did he get there? Because he prophesied of the famine and gave plans on how to do that. He looked out for the welfare of the people. He looked for the peace of the people. When we do those kinds of things, friends, we can be sure that we are following God in what we're doing. In chapter 9, Mordecai writes the declaration for the Purim holiday, and Queen Esther affirms it in a second letter, giving it total royal authority. You're going to celebrate this. Now, based on the description in chapter 9, verse 22, it kind of sounds like our Christmas, right? We're going to eat a lot, and we're going to give gifts. That's, that sounds like a great holiday to me. I'm all for that. You can make any holiday you want to, as long as it involves eating. I always like eating. When it's fasting, that's not a holiday, friends. That is, I need prayer for something. Eating, though, that's a holiday. That's, that's how it works. We just got done celebrating 4th of July. Please tell me you all ate. Did you all eat? Please tell me it came from a grill. A smoker, at least. <laughs> Anything. All right. Praise God. Something, something that was burned over a fire, as in the days of Esther. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it's, that's, that's how it works. Now, the month of Adar is around uh, the end of February, beginning of March for us. And at times, it coincides with Mardi Gras and Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent season. Uh, if you grew up Catholic or Lutheran or whatever, uh, those kinds of things, you know, it's, it's around the same time. Sometimes in the 14th century in Italy, the Jews didn't want to stick out like a sore thumb 
with those who were wearing masks for Mardi Gras. And so they decided to add a twist by dressing up in costumes. And then they kind of said, well, you know, Esther never really you know, showed her Jewishness until at, at the right time. So, so we'll just kind of tie this in, and now we'll start wearing costumes too. So now it's, it's kind of like our Christmas and Halloween, except it's not scary costumes. That's, I don't know what they dress up as, but I did read that they dress up for, like everybody does, like, 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 like on the news. Like if you're in Israel and, and you're watching the news, you've got the newscasters that are dressed up in costume and stuff. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. But um, that's, that's kind of how it worked. And so they, they added that twist, and, and that's, that's kind of Purim in a nutshell to an extent uh, of how they celebrate it. It's, it's eating, it's, it's dressing up, it's giving gifts to each other, uh, mainly food, and then you know helping the poor and those kinds of things. Now, one of the more unintelligent misconceptions of Purim is that the Jews are celebrating the slaughter of 75,000 people. They liken it to the Germans celebrating the Holocaust is what it would be like to them. Some folks look at this and they're like, you've got to be kidding me. I can't believe you're celebrating this. Listen, people who view it have not read the Bible, have not read their Bible. People who view uh, Purim this way have not read their Bibles. Mordecai's decree was not to have the Jews go out and kill people on the 13th and 14th of Adar. That wasn't how that worked. The decree was the allowance to defend oneself should others attack them on that day and kill, destroy, annihilate, and take the spoils of the household should they be attacked. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, friends, the Bible allows for self-defense. You are allowed to do that. You are allowed to defend yourself. Granted, it doesn't always have to be with deadly force, but you can defend yourself. It's, it's, that's not against God's law. But we are allowed to, we are, we are allowed to defend ourselves. We don't, we don't have to sit there and just necessarily be walked all over. Purim is a celebration then that they survived an annihilation attempt. And to top it off, as we read through that, it seems as though none of the Jews died in the fighting. They all survived it. They, none, of them, none of them died. So friends, this is not a celebration of death, but a celebration of survival. The Lord brought us through. The Lord made it so that we could survive. And we'll see the Lord working in a minute here. Uh, before we get there, I just want to tell you, friends, our God is pro-celebration. Our God is pro-celebration. Listen, Purim is not on the level of the seven feasts from God in Leviticus 23. Those were created and established by God with purposes, and those purposes were fulfilled by Christ. Those particular feasts, those holidays are known as, I'm going to try to do this right. I don't speak Klingon or Hebrew, but uh, it's Chach. That's what it sounded like when I heard it pronounced on YouTube. Chag. It's C-H-A-G. And, and that, is, that is a special holiday from the Lord. Uh, those, those seven feasts mentioned in Leviticus 23. Uh, let's see if I can remember them all. It is uh, Sabbath, uh, Passover, uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits. Um, we got Pentecost, Trumpets. Uh, Day of Atonement and Booths. Oh, good. I've, I remembered it and I'm Jewish. Awesome. Um, so those are the seven feasts, but those are Chag. Now, Purim and technically Hanukkah also, which is, which is not in our Bible or the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it's found in the apocryphal books of First uh, and Second Maccabees. But Hanukkah and Purim are what are known as Mishta. And Mishta 
is 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 just a party. It's just a celebration. It's like, hey, this was really cool. This is a lot of fun. Let's let's have a mishta. Nowhere in the book of Esther is the C H A G word, the 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 Hakalugi holidays. None of those are in Esther. It doesn't and never uses that word. But it uses the word mishta quite a bit. And so Purim is considered this mishta, this party. Now listen, friends. God may not have established Purim, may not have established Hanukkah, but He also didn't tell the Jews to not celebrate them. He didn't come down and say, no, no, stop making up holidays. That's my job. That's my department. Keep your mouth shut and just move on. No, God said, go ahead, do it. So the next time, friends, someone wants to tell you how terrible you are for celebrating the birth of Christ on Christmas and the resurrection of Christ on Easter because they were birthed in supposed pagan rituals. (laughs) How dare you put up a Christmas tree? Get those lights off your house. You're wasting your money on your electric bill anyways. Leave me alone. I'm celebrating how I want to. (laughs) Next time somebody wants to do that to you, friends, remember that our Lord is pro-celebration. He cares about celebrating the works that he's done. Whenever we celebrate that and give honor to him, he's all for it. He is all for it. Someone's healed, celebrate it. Someone's freed from addiction, celebrate it. The church raised enough money to help get people into the church, (laughs) celebrate it, right? A mom decides against abortion, celebrate it. The Lord provided and you are out of debt, celebrate it. You worked with the kids on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night, Celebrate it. A life was threatened and then saved. Celebrate it. Someone finds Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You guys are supposed to say celebrate it. Oh, well. Um, Celebrate it. We celebrate it. Our Lord is pro-celebration. God wants us to celebrate those things. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. When the Lord works, when he does good things, celebrate it. Celebrate it. Even if it's just with your family. Even if it's just with yourself. Lord, thank you for providing that. Lord, thank you for helping me keep my cool when I could have just went off on my worker today. (laughs) Thank you, God, for doing that. Celebrate it. Now, as we have stated a few times in our study in the book of Esther, though God is not referenced at all in the book, there are various things that show his presence within the book. Did you notice a phrase mentioned three times throughout the time of the fighting? The phrase is, they did not lay their hand or hands on any of the plunder. They didn't lay their hands on any of the plunder. I mentioned uh, last week that um, uh, the, the whole, I'm sorry, Mordecai's decree said that they could take all the plunder that they wanted to. As soon as they destroyed those families, they could go in and take everything they wanted. We mentioned last week that may have been the reason why some of the Persians became Jewish. I'm going to come and help fight with you because, man, I want to take some of that plunder. I mean, I've got a rich neighbor that's really against you, so let's, let's fight him together and maybe I can get a little piece of that. Uh, to understand this, though, about the, the hands on the plunder, we need to go back all the way to the days of Joshua. Maybe you guys remember the Battle of Jericho when they, when they first crossed over uh, the Jordan River, the, the Israelites did. And when they went to the, the city of Jericho, that's the one where they marched around seven times, uh, uh, one time each day for seven days, and then seven times on the seventh day. And then the walls come down, they go in and they take everything. When they go to take everything, what does God tell them? Don't take the plunder. Take all the animals, sacrifice them to me. Take all the gold and the silver, use it in your treasury for the tabernacle. You guys don't take any of it, though. That's all for me. That's dedicated to the Lord. 
Later on, you you have the story right after that of Achan, who stole some stuff and then lied for, about it. And then instead of confessing, he goes all the way to the point where God exposes him, and he and his family end up dying because they decided to lie about all of that stuff. So there are times in the book of Joshua, not often, but a few times where God would come in and they'd say, okay, we're going to fight this battle. And when you win, you don't take any of the plunder. The plunder is all mine. I get all the spoil is what God says. This is how this works, and, and that's, that's how it's going to be. Most of the time, he let them take the plunder so that they could, you know, they could be wealthy and, and, and have the stuff that they needed uh, to, to be a nation and be able to rise up. Notice, like I said, throughout this time of fighting, what did the Israelites or what did the Jewish people do? They didn't take any of the plunder. This would indicate that they understood, listen, God helped us through this. God is the one that made it so that we could survive, so that we could win these, this, this massive battle. At a time when we were supposed to be annihilated, when we, when we were marked for death, God came up and, and gave us the, the energy, the strength, the power, the whatever, to fight and defeat our enemies. And then they just left the plunder, almost as a sign of, Lord, that's for you. I give it to you. I leave it for you, Lord God. Take it and do with it as you will. We don't know what happened to the plunder. We have no idea. I'm sure the Persian government gladly came in and took it. But in the Jews' mind, it was, listen, we're not going to touch it. We're going to leave it for the Lord because he's the one who's rescued us. He's the one who, who got us through this. He's the one that gave us uh, the ability to do this. And it was, it was an act of thanks to them. We saw last week that that is part of what being a follower of Christ is in Colossians 1.12, let alone numerous scriptures that encourage us to thank God. Not only do you celebrate what God has done, but you thank God for what he's done. Thank you, Lord, for your provision. Thank you, Lord, for helping me in that situation. Thank you, Lord, for those, those things, Lord God. Thank you for all of that. By being thankful, we're showing that we are followers of Christ. We are followers of God. Now, let me tie up just a quick loose end before the final point of this message here. After Xerxes gets the number of those dead in the capital and the report that Haman's sons had been killed, he asks Esther if there's anything further she wants, and she requests one more day of this. She's like, let this happen for one more day. To be brutally honest with you, there's nobody has like any reason for it. They're not really sure. Uh, the best example is, you know, when, when the military leaders of the Israelites would, would, would fight, they, they would always want complete victory. You know, let's, let's get it all done. Let's get it all out. And so that, that, that's one reason. Some people feel that Esther is, is loveless and could care less about her enemies. And let's, let's get them all dead as much as we can. I'm, I, I don't know. Any, any thoughts on that? Honestly, friends, it's, it's all conjecture. However, as we just read, 300 more people still wanted to crack at the Jews after that first day, within, just within the capital city. There were 300 people that were like, you know what? We may have seen a lot of people killed yesterday, but I want to try one more time just to see if, 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 we, can, if we can wipe these guys out. And that's part of the last point of this message. It's part of the last point of this message. Now, we've talked about it quite a bit, so I won't go too much into the details, but we are often encouraged to never underestimate God, right? Don't underestimate God. Don't put God in the box. He can do all things. He has all power. He has all mercy. He has all grace. He can take this, the worst sinner stuck in the deepest mud, pull him out, 
He can soften the hardest heart, right? Amen? That is who God is. Do not underestimate God. Never underestimate God. But guess what, friends? There are times when sometimes we need to think about the opposite. Never underestimate the power of hate, jealousy, anger within ourselves. Never underestimate the hate, jealousy, and anger we may find ourselves in. It can stick a person in the deepest of mud and harden the softest of all hearts. It blinds us. Mordecai gave a decree that the Jews could defend themselves and all 120 provinces had at least seven months to think about whether or not they really wanted to attack the Jews. During that time, they saw people side with the Jews and become Jewish themselves. When the fighting started, all the government officials sided with the Jews. I mean, don't get me wrong. It makes sense, right? If you're a government official and you're like, well, the queen is Jewish and the second in command is Jewish, if I want to keep my position, I probably shouldn't kill Jews. <laughs> so for the, the government officials, it, it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, there was such hate. There was such jealousy. There was such anger within at least 75,000 people that they still wanted to destroy them, even though they could see this is probably not going to end well. They still wanted to crack at it. They saw those people uh, kind of go towards the side of the Jews, and yet they still wanted to kill people. And then when they given another day in the capital city, 300 more people couldn't shake their hate. They still had it there. Friends, hate, anger, jealousy, these things are the root of murder. We live in a society that thinks laws and government can fix it, but God has shown that doesn't work. We see it here in the book of Esther. A law doesn't work. A decree doesn't work. We've seen it actually throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, God establishes his law. He's like, here's my law. But guess what? You can't follow it. You can't get to that level. You can't do those things. It doesn't work. And here we are in a society still where we're trying to make laws and we're trying to do these things. Well, well, maybe, maybe if we make a law that tells people not to hate other people for whatever reason, it'll work. It doesn't work. That's not how that works. I'm sure all, some of you have heard the saying from, from Dr. King before, you know, you know uh, darkness can't drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate can't drive out hate, only love can do that. It's a great statement. It's a powerful statement. It's not biblical, but, but it is, it's got some roots there in, within the word of God. But at the same time, we say that, and some people really like it, but that's not what we really live. We'll be like, darkness doesn't drive out darkness. Laws can, though. Hate can't drive out hate. Laws can, though. I'm sure if we set up a law, this will work. It doesn't. Government doesn't care. Politicians don't really care. They just want to see who can give them more money. And so we'll make these laws and, and, and see what we can do and, and do those kinds of things. And too often, we become so dependent on the government, so dependent on those laws. And that's not what's going to change a person's heart. That's not what drives out hate. That's not what drives out jealousy. That's not what drives out anger. There's only one fix, friends, and God showed us. It's his son. Jesus Christ is the only one that can drive out that hate. That's it. That's all you got. And guess what? It's way more than enough. Way more than enough. It may be all you've got, but it's, it's more than anything. It's more than anything. 
Jesus is the only fix. Jesus is the only fix when it comes to hatred within us, when it comes to the anger within us, when it comes to the jealousy within us. We need to stop and, and stop and ask ourselves, Lord, the anger that I have here, the, the frustration that I have here, these things, these thoughts that I have, Father, are they truly from you? Is it a holy anger that I have? Or am I just ticked off because I didn't get what I wanted? Or they got something that I wanted? Where is my anger in? Where, what, what am I frustrated about? And then resist if it's not from him. Resist that anger. Resist whatever the devil is throwing at you to throw you off the path. What does the Bible tell us? Resist the devil and he will what? He will flee. I'm going to resist that hate. I'm going to resist that anger. I'm going to resist that frustration because it's not from the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times, and we talked about it, like I said, I won't, I won't beat a dead horse over this, but, but there are times when, when that holy anger will come. When you see, you know, the government, you know, allowing laws for, you know, let's, let's take kids out of homes because they're not getting their gender-affirming health care. Uh, let's, you know, let's make abortion legal for everybody and do whatever you want to do and, you know, those kinds of things. And, and though they get under your skin and though they, they make you angry, you got to be able to submit it to the Lord and say, Lord, how do I respond correctly and properly in that holy anger? You never know. You might get a whip and be able to walk around maybe the county fair and whip people and get out of here. I'm kidding. I, I don't know if that would happen. <laughs> That's a reference to Jesus Christ as he went into the temple, overturned the tables of the tax collectors and whipped them and said, get out of here. I don't know if he actually touched them with the whip, but he's like, get on out. But that's, the idea is, though, understanding the difference between that holy anger and understanding when it's just man's anger that doesn't produce the righteousness of God. We've got to resist that type of hate. We've got to resist that type of anger. We can't look at a person and say, well, they look like this, they sound like this, they talk like this, da-da-da-da-da, and just automatically just hate those people. To say, Lord, let me have an eye like you have an eye. And see what the problem is. See what the situation is. What is going on in their life? Why are they acting that way? Why do they think that way? Lord, help me to understand that. And then show them your love. Show them your wisdom. Why don't you stand with me today? As we close this up. There was a lot of hate. It's, it, it, and it's, it's amazing. It, it, hate will blind you. Hate will blind, will blind you. It just will. It's hard to get things done when you hate something, when, you, when you're constantly angry at something. If, if you want to be effective for the Lord, you've got to release those things and say, Lord, how do I respond to this better? How do I respond to this better? Because I don't want to get stuck. Because I'm telling you right now, friends, chances are the hate that you have will not overcome whatever you hate. It's not going to work. As you can see by the 75,000 Persians that wanted to kill the Jews. It never works out. Only the love of God works out. Only the love of Christ overcomes all of these things. We need to be following him.